Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and I have an announcement before we get going. Scott Felix has started up a new podcast on the Believe Podcast Network called The Players' Lounge, along with Cyrus Hobby, so you can now catch him there. I'll have some special guest co-hosts to join me each week here on the Believe in USC Football Podcast, and this week I'm pleased to have Matthew Lowry, the editor of Conquest Chronicles, SB Nation's USC website. Matthew, glad to have you on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be here, and especially coming off of last week's win, I'm excited for this weekend's game, and I'm excited to talk about it, and I'm happy that you have me on. It's going to be fun to talk to you, Matthew, throughout this show, and for those of you who are listening and enjoying the USC Football Podcast, please subscribe and rate the show. You can find us on all your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcast. My personal Twitter is at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports, so you can send in comments about the show, ask any questions, we can try and answer them for you on the show. Matthew, where do they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry. Usually I'm on there talking college football, talking sports in general. So you can find me on there. Yes, be sure to follow both Matthew and I on Twitter. Coming off of a disappointing overtime loss at BYU, the Trojans had a short week to prepare for a Friday night home game against 10th ranked Utah, the favorite to win the Pac-12. Quarterback Keaton Slovis was hoping to bounce back from a three-interception performance but his night would last all of two plays. As he was throwing a pass, Slovis was slammed into the Coliseum turf by Lecky Fotu and was clearly woozy as he tried and failed to stand up after the hit. In came redshirt junior Matt Fink, who had almost transferred to Illinois in the spring but ended up staying put and being designated as third string at the end of fall camp. But as if out of a Hollywood script, Fink would end up leading USC to an improbable 30-23 upset of the Utes. That game was sloppy on both sides. A lot of penalties, just general craziness. Matthew, what exactly did we witness on Friday night? What we witnessed on Friday night actually was just I don't know how to put it. As you mentioned, it's like a script out of a movie because we saw this with the first game of the season when JT Daniels went down and Keaton Slovis came in in the second half, followed by Keaton Slovis having that outstanding game. Fink went in, made some big plays, hitting Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughn for a few scores especially that 77-yard touchdown pass that really got them going. That was the big moment right there for USC. I don't know how to how to really put it. I don't know if it was more of a USC bounce back or if it was just Utah's 
offense just couldn't get it together. I know the penalties played a big part. 16 penalties for 120 yards really hurt the Ute. But as you mentioned, if you looked at the box score, you would imagine Utah would have clearly won that game. But if you look at the score, it doesn't add up. I don't know. It's, I think it's just USC showing that they can win ugly as well. They can win the ugly games, especially against a team who was favored to win the Pac-12. Yeah, for sure. And I think you got it right. It's just hard to figure out what to really make of that game. And that's really the confounding nature of USC football. They can look so good at times. They can look so bad at times. And sometimes it happens within the same game, within the same quarter, within the same drive. You just don't know what you're going to get. But of course, the hero, Matt Fink, 21 of 30, 351 yards and three touchdowns, did throw that one pick in the second half. It just seemed like he went out there and played with nothing to lose, with house money as it were, taking big shots, giving a guy like Michael Pittman a career night, and it really feels like that's what the fan base responded to. Yeah, they actually did, and I think the thing with Fink is because he's been waiting for his opportunity. A lot of people don't know he was a backup to Sam Darnold for two years. He was a backup to JT Daniels last season. He came in during the blowout against Utah and actually led USC on some scoring drive after JT Daniels suffered the concussion, only for him to have broken ribs in that same game. So actually, he's been waiting for his opportunity, and he took advantage of it. Now, I'm going to sound like a Debbie Downer here, but the throws he were making, he's not going to be able to get away with that against most teams. This upcoming week, he's not going to be able to really get away with that if he does indeed play. But he knew, he basically knew, hey, it's my guys against your guys. I trust my guys to win the 50-50 battle. Yeah, if I'm any quarterback, I'm going to trust Michael Pittman against Utah secondary who really don't have the height, let alone the athletic or skill ability as Pittman Jr. So I'm going to take advantage of that battle every single time. So I think he came in with the situation that was going on, with the situation he was dealt with, with Slovis going in. He stayed ready. The team stayed ready. They rallied behind him, and they got things going. They got things going, and they were fueled by the big play. Definitely. Matt Fink came into the game looking right away to make big plays, and on the first drive he's in, he finishes it off with a 29-yard touchdown pass, a beauty down the right sideline to Tyler Vons. On the very next drive, he finishes it off with a 31-yard TD pass to Amon Ra St. Brown, and as you mentioned earlier, the biggest play of the game, 77-yard touchdown pass to Michael Pittman Jr., and really on that play, Matt Fink was a little bit late to make the read. He was a little bit late to pass the ball, which allowed the safety to go over there. And Michael Pittman just made a great play between the two defenders, made the catch, took it in the rest of the way. And Michael Pittman just had a tremendous day, 10 catches, 232 yards and that touchdown and it's really not surprising to see the connection that Pittman and Fink had because they actually arrived to USC in the same year and they were roommates their first year of college so they've been friends and they've been teammates for four years they know each other they've worked with each other and you could see it out on the field and personally I thought Matt Fink should have been named the starting quarterback to begin last season 
In general, I am just not a fan of true freshmen starting at quarterback from day one. I think they need more seasoning. And so for USC last year, I would have had Matt Fink to begin the season as the starter. And if the team was to struggle or Fink didn't play well, then you can turn to JT Daniels later on in the season. But Matt Fink did not win the job. He's had to sit and wait to get an opportunity. That opportunity finally showed up on Friday night and he made the most of it. So as we record this on a Monday night, We don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be for USC on Saturday up in Seattle. Keaton Slovis is in the concussion protocol. He will have to clear that before he can even begin to practice. So the question becomes, will he get in enough practice time to start the game? Or will he just have enough time to be the backup? Or does he not get cleared at all? And Matt Fink is the starting quarterback for the first time in his USC career with three walk-ons as the backup's behind him. Matthew, are you hearing anything new about Keaton Slovis's status? As of right now, I'm not hearing anything. We should have an update by Tuesday. That, I believe, is what Helton said during the conference call. But if anything, it's similar to what JT Daniels went through last year, where you didn't know until Tuesday. You wouldn't know if he was going to play or not. At this rate, I mean, if you saw him on the sidelines, he had earplugs in, which basically means, all right, he definitely has a concussion because the loud sounds in the stadium tends to bug you. I think, in all honesty, I don't anticipate Slovis playing this weekend. I see Fink playing this weekend, and he's going to have a couple of walk-on quarterbacks as his backup. That's what I'm anticipating right now. Yeah, it looks like Brandon Perdue would be next man up should anything happen to Fink if Slovis is unavailable on Saturday. Again, we are recording on Monday night. We'll find out more about Keaton Slovis's availability as the week goes on. Now, while USC was able to pass the ball, running the ball proved to be much more difficult against the Utah defensive line. They kept USC in check and in negative yardage, really, for most of the game. USC finally got to the positive side in the fourth quarter and ended up with just 13 net rushing yards. On the flip side, Utah was able to run all over USC, which I predicted in Nara's No Doubter last week. We'll get to that later on in the prediction segment, where I said that they would have over 200 yards rushing, and they did. But the passing game was a bit of a struggle for Utah, and they were forced to rely on Tyler Huntley more when star running back Zach Moss suffered a shoulder injury on the second play of the second quarter and was unable to return. How much do you think the loss of Moss hurt Utah throughout the rest of the game? I think it played a big factor because Zach Moss is their guy who they rely on in between the tackles. How can I put it? You remember Toby Gerhardt at Stanford, correct? And you remember all the running backs they had at Stanford. Let's say, for instance, if Toby Gerhardt went down, that would have played a huge part because he gets majority of your yardage per carry. That's how it is with Zach Moss. I'm not saying he's Toby Gerhardt by any means. But he gets a bulk of those yardage with his physical running style. And that helps put Utah in second and five, third and short situations. When he went down, 
that really affected the Utah running game. Because you do know with USC, they have been outstanding with the interior run in between the tackles. With Zach Moss, you get a back like that, he can break through those tackles or he can withstand against a defensive line like that. And without him, you're now forcing Huntley to rely on beating you with his arm. You're relying on Tyler Huntley to throw the ball, to beat you through the air, which is what most teams want to do. Because anytime you don't think a QB can beat you through the air, that's what's going to happen. And he was under under duress for most of the night. Couldn't really get the throws that he wanted through most of the night because he was under duress by Drake Jackson and Christian Rector. Also, we know that USC can't defend the jet sweeps or the misdirection runs at all. And Utah basically went to that just because they know USC don't take the right angles to defend the runs like that. So I think it didn't really hurt them in that point, but at the same time, it disrupted their offense because when they're trying to go in between the tackles, they were having no success. Yes, you are right about the USC defensive line being very stout on the interior. However, and it seems like I'm talking about this on a weekly basis and it's becoming quite tiresome to do so, there is a lack of contain, there is a lack of setting the edge, and USC is getting exposed by every team that they play with, like you mentioned, jet sweeps, misdirections, athletic quarterbacks who can escape the pocket like a Tyler Huntley, but even just simple option plays where there's one defender to cover the quarterback and the running back. I don't know why there continuously is a flaw in the defensive scheme that USC rolls out there, but honestly, I'm surprised more teams don't just run that simple option play throughout the game because USC has shown no ability to stop that kind of play. It's just getting mind-boggling to see that there are no adjustments being made, and that leads me to the other issues like sloppy tackling, like penalties. You mentioned how many penalties Utah had, but USC also had 11 for 117 yards. And the blame for all these issues that seem to keep popping up over and over during the past few seasons is placed on the coaching staff, specifically Clay Helton. And that is why every week I run the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll on Twitter, where the fans can vote to see how hot Clay Helton's seat is based on chili peppers. So at the top is the Carolina Reaper at 2.2 million Scoville heat units, which is how they measure the heat of a chili pepper. The ghost pepper is the second on the list at just over a million SHU, followed by habanero at 350,000 and the cayenne pepper at 50,000. So during this past week, After a big win, the hot seat scale went from Carolina Reaper as the winner last week to Ghost Pepper being the winner this week with 60% of the vote. Carolina Reaper still got 20%, Habanero also got 20%, and Cayenne had no votes actually. So it's gone from Carolina Reaper after week one to Ghost Pepper after the big Stanford win back up to Carolina Reaper after the loss to BYU, and now back down to Ghost Pepper. Is that kind of what you expected to see, Matthew? Uh, Yeah, I think after the Utah win, it lightened up a little bit. And what that means is that 
if USC is going to let Helton go, it's not going to be till the end of the season. I think Dina and I mentioned this on Conquest Chronicles. If USC, in order for Helton to be let go by the bye week, USC would have had to be embarrassed by Utah and would have had to drop that game against Washington this coming week. If USC does indeed lose to Washington, I think it kind of depends on how, how they lose and everything. But if they do lose to Washington, that'll put them at 3-2 and two going into the bye week. And really, after you beat two top 10 teams, your record would be standing at 2-1 and one against AP top 25 teams, against ranked teams. Going in at 3-2, and two, that's not bad because it's a winning record. But at the same time, I think it depends on how the Washington game go. If it's a close loss, then he's going to march on to Notre Dame. If it's a blowout loss, then those rumblings could get very loud. And by the time they land, USC could let him go. I highly doubt it happens because of the fact that USC will be 3-2 and two going into the bye week and heading into Notre Dame. But if anything, I think that just ensures that USC won't fire Clay Helton unless unless they lose in embarrassing fashion to Washington, Notre Dame, and probably get blown out against Arizona the next week. That's the only way I see that happening. But yeah, that, I think the hot seat for me kind of cooled down a little bit. And I don't know if this next item would affect the Helton hot seat scale in any way, but there was an interesting development over the weekend as USC's top recruit quarterback Bryce Young out of modern day high school has chosen to decommit from the Trojans after being committed for over a year. He has decided to flip to the University of Alabama. So another loss for SoCal in terms of an athlete leaving the region. Do you have any more insight into this decision by Bryce Young? Yeah, so as it was it was rumored that Alabama and Nick Saban, they've really been on Bryce Young since he committed. Now, we know a verbal commit, it really don't mean much. It's a verbal commit, so that means other schools are going to are going to pursue. But Nick Saban was really making a run at Bryce Young for a couple of months now as it was reported. And then recently Bryce Young went on a visit to Alabama during this past weekend. Modern days on a bye week. So, of course, he took advantage of the bye week last week to take that visit and just decided that was it right there, that that was enough to flip his commit. He didn't have any ill will towards USC. I don't think it was anything that USC did. But I think the development of with Keaton Slovis, how after the two games he had, I mean... The BYU game, it's more of a freshman being a freshman. But after Keaton Slovis had the season he did, and with JT Daniels still going to be there, I think that was it right there. That was enough for him to flip that commit. Where at Alabama, and I think this was a thing too, but for Alabama, if Tua leaves, then he has uh, the chance to be a starter. He could be the favorite at Alabama to land that starting job. And what's ironic about it is that USC plays Alabama, you know, to open up the 2020 season. So they could see him as a starter. But I think the opportunity for him to be a starter, if Tua does indeed leave for the NFL, that was a big thing right there. And you can't blame the kid for that, for wanting a better opportunity opposed to where at USC, the uncertainty of Clay Helton on top of 
possibly having to battle two quarterbacks for the starting job. Totally agree with you. I think Bryce Young liked Clay Helton and the coaching staff at USC, and the uncertainty surrounding them has to give him pause. He also has to be looking at the new quarterback dynamic with Keaton Slovis becoming the starter due to JT Daniels' injury and the fact that offensive coordinator Graham Harrell has been so public in his praise for Slovis. I think Bryce might have thought he would come in and at most sit a year behind JT before becoming a starter. Now that looks like it might not be the case if Daniels and Slovis are around for a while. Meanwhile, at Alabama, there's no real successor lined up or in place for Tua Tagovailoa, who is almost assuredly going to leave for the NFL after this his junior season because he's going to be a top NFL draft pick. It'd be crazy if he didn't. So the opportunity is there for Bryce Young to possibly, like you said, be starting the 2020 season for Alabama in Arlington, Texas against USC over there in Cowboy Stadium, Jerry World, in really a game that's a sequel to the one a few years ago that I was at personally where we got beat down by the Crimson Tide. Not sure why they're making this sequel, but who knows what USC will look like at the start of the 2020 season. Well, I am joined this week by special guest co-host Matthew Lowry. He's the editor of Conquest Chronicles, SB Nation's USC website. And if you're enjoying our show right now, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We're available wherever you can find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. On Twitter, you can find me at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matthew, where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry, and you can also follow us on Twitter at C Chronicles SBN if you want to read more of our articles and talk USC football or USC sports with us. You can follow us on there too. That's right. Conquest Chronicles, not just for USC football. You can talk to them about all USC athletics. Now let's transition to preview this Saturday's game against the 17th ranked Washington Huskies. It's going to be a 1230 Pacific start. Fox is doing the game again with actually the same crew that did the Friday night game in L.A. the past week. Joe Davis, Brock Heward, and Bruce Feldman. And locally, KABC 790 AM on the radio. The Huskies are 3-1 overall, but 0-1 in the Pac-12. Their one loss is to Cal. But last week, they're coming off a big 45-19 win in Provo, Utah. That's right. They went in and did what USC could not do, and that is beat the Cougars of BYU. What can we expect from Washington? Let's begin on the offensive side of the ball. Quarterback Jacob Eason, a local legend who chose to go to Georgia, started as a true freshman, then got hurt early in his sophomore year, lost the job to Jake Fromm, so he ended up transferring back, redshirted last year, and he is now the leader of the UW offense for Coach Chris Peterson. They're starting running back to begin the year. Savon Ahmed has been dealing with a leg injury, so he sat out the BYU game. Sean McGrew came in, rushed for over 100 yards. Richard Newton also had a big game. And the wide receiver that Easton looks most to is Aaron Fuller. So, Matthew, what can we expect out of the Huskies? 
Well, I think with Washington, they do a great job at balancing out their offense. They can get you with the run. They can get you with the pass. They also have a couple of tight ends as well. And Hunter Bryant, who can also make life pretty difficult for opposing teams. I think with Washington, they could really throw USC off balance. The USC defense have struggled in a few games. They've had issues with tackles. They've had issues with quite a few things, actually. And with that, again, especially against a team like Washington, they have to really start getting it together. But I think a relief is that Jacob East is not a mobile quarterback. Let's get one thing straight there. He is not a mobile quarterback at all. So they don't have to worry about chasing around a quarterback throughout the whole game or anything like that. But I think this young secondary will be tested. One key thing to keep in mind is that we don't know the status of Isaac Taylor Stewart or or Elijah Griffin. Everyone remembers Elijah Griffin was out with back spasm. He went out in the second half with back spasms, and Taylor Stewart was out with a concussion. But Chris Steele and Greg Johnson did a good job. However, you want Griffin and Taylor Stewart in that game. With that, you have Talanoa Hafunga in the secondary. I think he'll be ready to go. I just have an issue with USC's tackling abilities and them failing to create pressure. I didn't see as many blitzes from USC like I usually do with Clancy Pendergast. This is one of those games where he has to do a better job with keeping them in check. But not only that, Washington does a great job exploiting weaknesses. And I think they're going to throw a lot of those jet sweeps and a lot of those misdirection plays to beat USC sideline to sideline. And then maybe open up their passing game if Easton has enough time. But it's going to be a challenge. I know the Huskies offensive line only giving up five sacks. But they haven't played a defensive line like USC's. USC's defensive line has just been off the charts this year, as we've mentioned. So I'm interested to see how that Huskies offensive line handles USC's defensive line. If anything, I think that's where the game is going to be decided is in the trenches. Because if they can get pressure on Easton, they can throw off a lot of things. They can throw off that Washington offense. Yeah, I agree. I believe one of the keys to the game will be if USC's defense can get a pass rush on Jacob Eason. It's not like he's a running quarterback like we've seen the last couple of weeks in Tyler Huntley and Zach Wilson. He's definitely a pocket passer, and if the USC defensive line can get a rush and put him down for a few sacks, that would be very beneficial for USC's chances of winning. Now, let's take a look at the other side of the ball, and the Washington Husky defense is pretty good as well. They have a couple of standouts. Defensive back Miles Bryant was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week after the Hawaii game. He was a preseason first-team All-Pac-12. He leads the team in tackles. And we've seen the interior of USC's offensive line struggle with good defensive linemen. And there's yet another one coming from UW this week. It's defensive lineman Benning Potoai, the inaugural winner of the Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week after the week one game against Eastern Washington. He also had two sacks against BYU last week. So what does USC need to do to exploit this Washington defense? If anybody watched the Cal and Washington game, Cal was able to move the ball in different ways. Cal was able to move the ball on the ground and Cal was able to move the ball through the air. They pretty much just had a balance attack to get to the Huskies. 
USC loves the air raid, but again, I think it boils down to what they do at quarterback. We don't know the quarterback situation, and that's going to be a big thing because Matt Fink, if you've noticed, he didn't spread the ball around like Slovis and Daniels do. They didn't spread the ball around to their receivers. He stuck with Tyler Vines, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Michael Pittman. Now, that could be more of an emphasis this week with a full week of practice. If he practices with the ones, which he'll get reps with the ones, that could be different. Not only that, Matt Fink is mobile. If you remember, Chase Garbers, he showed some mobility in that game against the Huskies in week two. So there could be a similar thing there because now you got to deal with Fink's mobility. And also, it just boils down to USC being able to run the ball. They had issues running the ball the last two weeks. You remember BYU only rushed three down linemen and dropped eight in the coverage, and USC only got 3.8 yards per carry through their running backs. They're going to have to get more of that from their running back. The offensive line is going to have to generate a better push against that Husky defensive line. They're going to have to be able to allow the USC team to run the ball and to get yardage if they can do that they'll be fine on offense I think USC has enough receivers to get it done I know a lot of people are telling me about Jimmy Lake Jimmy Lake will have this team ready we'll have the Huskies defense ready he's going to do a lot of disguise coverages to throw off Fink if this was Keaton Slovis I would be worried there because Slovis had issues against the eight-man zone coverage And Graham Harold also had issues with that, opting to, in a very limited manner, throw the ball. So how is that going to play into Graham Harold's game planning heading into this game? So I think USC is not as daunting as it is, but it's still a tall task. It's still a pretty heavy task, especially given the fact that you are now on your third quarterback going into a road game. That's not the most ideal thing, but I think he played against Utah at Salt Lake City. He's played on the road before. He's played against Notre Dame on the road. He's played against Stanford on the road. These are very limited snaps that he's played, but he's been in hostile environments before. So it may not be a tall task with being at Husky Stadium, but still on the road, knowing USC's history under Clay Helton in road games, it's going to be interesting to see what this USC offense does, but they got to keep them off balance. It'll definitely be contingent on who starts at quarterback for USC. I would think that with a full week of practice with the ones, they might try and put in some more plays to take advantage of Matt Fink's mobility. If he is indeed the starter, of course, If Slovis is unavailable to even be the backup, he will be backed up by walk-ons, and so they may not want him to run too much for threat of injury because that is how he got hurt against Utah a year ago. Again, we shall see based on who ends up starting at quarterback for USC. Husky Stadium, though, is a loud environment, so it'll be tough for either Fink or Slovis who don't have much experience in that type of venue. And now it's time for the super fun predictions segment of the show. I am Nara Wang. My special guest co-host this week is the editor of Conquest Chronicles, the USC website for SB Nation, Matthew Lowry. We hope you're enjoying the show. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you find podcasts. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, the website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe 
podcasts. On Twitter, you can find me and follow me and comment and send questions to at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And where can they find you, Matthew? You can follow me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry, and then you can follow us on Conquest Chronicles. You can follow us on Twitter at C Chronicles SBN. Let's start off the predictions as we always do with the players we believe in. This is where we each pick the players that we think are going to have the best game for USC. And Matthew, since you're our guest this week, I'll let you go first. Who do you believe in? I believe in Talanoa Hafunga. The last two weeks, he's really been consistent in the secondary. He's been all over the place making tackles. He had 14 tackles against Utah. Also made some key plays against BYU. Remember, he had the key fourth down stop against BYU, which really, if BYU would have converted, they most likely would have scored. But I think Talanoa Hafunga is a guy who I think will do well, who I believe will have an outstanding game against Washington, and he will be a a big factor for the Trojans' defense. So you are taking Talanoa Hufanga, which reminds me that I need to recap last week's picks where I had former USC wide receiver Damian Williams on the show as the guest co-host because he also took Talanoa Hufanga. I took Tyler Vons as the player I believed in last week. He had a touchdown, four catches, 49 yards, but that paled in comparison to the game that Hufanga had. He had 14 tackles tied for the team lead with Palaie Naoteote. One of the tackles went for a loss, also had half a sack. So clearly Damian had the better pick in the players that we believed in last week. And I see what you're doing, Matthew. You're trying to ride that Hufanga magic for another week. As for my pick this week, I'm going to stay on the defensive side like you, but I'm going with the young guy, the freshman defensive end, Drake Jackson. I just like the way he's been playing. He's been getting to the quarterback. He's been really showing a maturity beyond his years, other than the personal foul penalties that he's been picking up, some of which you could say are borderline that maybe 10 years ago, even five years ago, would not be called penalties. So he's got to learn to temper that a little bit, but he looks really good so far as a young freshman, and I think he's going to get in to sack Jacob Eason at least a couple of times, and hopefully he will help the USC defense stand up to the Husky offense. So my pick for the player I believe in this week is freshman defensive end Drake Jackson. Now let's go to our game score prediction last week. Damien and I both picked Utah. Again, don't be mad, USC fans, because it worked out. USC won. I almost nailed the score. I said it was going to be 31-23. Of course, I did pick Utah to win. The score was 30-23. Damien had 31-17, but that was irrelevant anyway. We both picked Utah, so no winner on that pick. And this week, you know what? I'm just going to do it again. I know, USC fans, you might be mad at me, but so far... I'm working out for you guys. USC's winning every time I pick against them, so I'm picking against them again. I think the Washington Huskies are going to pull this one out. I think USC, another letdown after a big win possibility on the road. So I'm going with UW 27, USC 17. Uh, I'm going to go with Washington as well. I'm with you on that. Right now, My biggest thing with USC is that we don't know what USC is. 
we thought USC turned the corner against Stanford and they lost against BYU. They had a sloppy game. They won a sloppy game against Utah at home, bounced back against then number 10 Utah and won that game. I think just with the emotions in the Coliseum, Reggie Bush being there, I think there's going to be a letdown. And I think USC, I don't think it's enough to get it done. Washington seems like they're rebounding very well, bouncing back on all cylinders. I see the Huskies winning this one 38 to 20. Wow. Picking the Huskies to win by 18, 38 to 20, a high scoring game. I had it 27-17 for the Huskies. We both are picking against USC, but so far this season, I am 0-2 when I pick against USC, so everyone out there should be happy. I'll be happy if I'm wrong. I always say that because I want USC to win. I'm just giving my honest opinion. We're both giving our honest opinions on what we think is going to happen. And by the way, for entertainment purposes only, the line on the game has Washington as a 10-point favorite currently we shall see what happens there with our picks and love to be wrong prove me wrong usc do it again one more time and now it's time to turn to the prop bet portion of the predictions segment matthew this is where we just pick something that we think is going to happen that doesn't have to do with the score doesn't have to necessarily do with a player just something that we feel strongly confident in that can happen in the game i call mine nara's no doubter and to recap last week my no doubter was that utah would run for at least 200 yards i was correct they ran for 247 damian williams had his damian's done deal he picked two takeaways by usc they only had one of course that was a really big one at the end of the first half where they got that fumble recovery and kept Utah from scoring there and probably taking the lead into halftime. So a big turnover there, but only one by USC. So Damian was incorrect. I won that portion. And so Damian and I tied in our picks one apiece last week. And again, you got to come up with a name for your little guaranteed prediction here. Matthew, what are we calling it? We're going to call my guaranteed predictions Matthew's Money Mayhem. Matthew's money mayhem. I like it, Matthew. That's strong. So with mine, oh man, it's going to be hard to pick what mine is going to be because so much many things can happen here. I'm going to be safe here. I'm going to say Jacob Easton tosses three touchdown passes. Well, you did pick Washington to score 38 points, so it makes sense that Matthew's money mayhem would be that Jacob Eason would throw three touchdown passes. As for Nara's no-doubter, I'm going to do another throwback pick like I did last week. I made some throwback picks to what I did in previous episodes. I'm going all the way back to episode one for this one. If you'll recall, I said that the USC defense would come up with four sacks against Fresno State. They came up one short. They got three. They had so many chances to get more. That's kind of been a running theme. But I think with Jacob Eason not being that mobile of a quarterback, USC is going to get it done. Four sacks is Nara's no-doubter for the game against the University of Washington. So let's recap our picks in the players that we believe in. Matthew is going to ride the Talanoa Hufanga train, picking him for his player that he believes in. I am going with true freshman defensive end Drake Jackson. In terms of our game score, we are both picking against USC. 
Matthews got 38-20 Washington. I'm going with a lower scoring game, 27-17. And in our prop bets segment, Matthews Money Mayhem is that Jacob Eason throws for three touchdowns. I am going with four sacks by the USC defense for Nara's no doubter. So, Matthew, how confident are you in your picks? I'm feeling confident about it. And honestly, I hope to be wrong on the score and everything. But at the same time, it's just something I don't see, especially going on the road. And with USC, you know, they go into the bye week, so there's nothing to look forward to, unlike the BYU game where they had Utah coming up. There's no trap game or anything like that. Though This is a game where they can let it all out and then go into the bye week and get themselves together. If anything, USC could get it done in Seattle before they go into a bye week and prepare for Notre Dame. My thing is, just like you, when I pick USC to lose, they're 2-0. and I think the one time I picked USC to win was week one, and they won that game. And then I picked them to win against BYU, and they lost that one. So, I don't know. I... It's something about me and picking USC to lose, and they just proved me wrong this year. I mean, I'm hoping they keep that trend up, but this one's kind of dicey, especially with the quality opponent. But we thought Utah was that, and we saw how that turned out. I am with you on that. And the weekly reminder that these predictions are just for entertainment purposes. Do not blame us if you use them to make your bets. What you do with your money is your own issue. We are not responsible for it. (laughs) We hope to be wrong, but we will have to wait until Saturday to find out. If you've enjoyed listening to us today, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on all of your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. My Twitter is at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matthew, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry. You can also follow uh, Conquest Chronicles on Twitter at C Chronicles SBN. We, uh, we talk about not only USC football, but we talk about all USC athletics. So be sure to give us a follow and to, uh, and to check us out. For special guest co-host Matthew Lowry, the editor of Conquest Chronicles, SB Nation's USC website, I'm Nara Wang, thanking all of you for joining us for Episode 5 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And while we may not believe that USC is going to win this week, we are going to hope it happens. And as always, I remind you to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.